Good morning and happy Father's Day. If you would, turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46. How many of you ever had a time where you've been so scared, you just sort of scream and run and try to seek shelter? Anybody ever had an experience like that? Probably most of us can say we've had at least one or 20 moments like that in our life where we are just so shattered that we just scream and the first thing we want to do is be protected from whatever it is that is causing us to scream. Today is Father's Day and for some, this is a difficult day. It's a really difficult day in many aspects. For some, they don't have much reason to celebrate their earthly father. They haven't had a great experience with a father figure here in the earthly realm. So they don't understand the celebration and the gifts and things like that because they didn't have a father that was worth celebrating. For some, like me, it's difficult because we did have a good earthly father. A wonderful man who led us and taught us, but they're no longer with us. So Father's Day is difficult, but it's also joyous because there are plenty of fathers, many in this room right now, and so it is worth celebrating. But ultimately, we celebrate Father's Day to celebrate the Father, who is the ultimate example of what a father should be. And so I, I bring the message today knowing that Father's Day is difficult for some, celebratory for others, sad for many. Okay? But I remember this time when I was a little dude, and I'm not a storm guy. I, I don't like things out of my control. Okay? And I can remember one time, we had a really, really bad storm. Now, my bedroom was just down the hallway from my parents. Now, growing up, I had very, very conservative parents. My dad was a wonderful human being, and every room in the house was full of love, but there was one room in our house you did not enter without permission, and that was my parents' bedroom. You never entered that place without permission. And there was a bit of a caveat to that, though emergencies only you can bust that door open and run in i remember this one time we were having a bad storm and i have two older brothers who were gracious and gent no they were not they were picking on me because i was scared to death i had run multiple scenarios through my mind where the tree in the front yard would come through and only hit my bed only crushing me and then the other scenarios where the telephone pole would fall on that tree, ignite it into flames, then it would fall on the house and burn only my bed. So as these scenarios ran through my mind, the fear increased and increased and increased. And I sprung from my bed, and I ran down the hallway, and I flung open my parents' bedroom door and dove in between them on the bed. Something I had never done before, by the way. And my father sat up 
reassured me of three things. I am here. You are safe. And it's okay. Those were the three things that he reassured me of. As I jarred him from his sleep. So today, we look at a God who is sending us a message that he is present, he is purposeful, he is patient, and he is powerful. We're going to see those four things as we go through Psalm 46. I can also sort of remember a time in our history, in the days and moments after 9-11. For some of you, 9-11, you were born after 9-11, so you don't understand what that day was, that, that day of 9-11 for so many of us Americans. And I remember those days that followed, the uneasiness, the, un, the, the, the fear. What's next? What's coming? Again, scenarios started to run through my mind. Only I'm an adult now. And I remember watching the news one day, and the NATO Supreme Commander, General Wesley Clark, someone I had served under in the military, he was on the news and he was asked a question, will it ever be the same again? That was, I was like, wow, that's exactly what I was just thinking. Will it ever be the same again? And his answer, I'll never forget. He said, I hope not. The worst thing that could happen would be for us to go back to the way we were before. We must not stay the same. We must never stay the same. Tragedy either strikes us or it strengthens us. And I choose to be strengthened in this. The next day I re-enlisted. <laughs> the next day I re-enlisted in the army. <laughs> but I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 46. This is a song that was written by the sons of Korah. And we're going we're gonna to address that at the end. Some of you already know the significance of Korah. It's set in a context of catastrophic chaos that is happening. So this psalm is written during a time of extreme difficulty, massive uncertainty, hard times for the people of Israel. The writer's world is literally crumbling around him. They are besieged. They are being attacked and assaulted. The psalm was written with the nation of Israel in mind, but it certainly will apply to us in today's situations. Now remember that Korah is a man who led a rebellion against Moses. Some of you know the story. Korah and a couple of his other buddies, they come up against Moses and they are challenging him. And God literally opens the earth and swallows them up. 250. And it says in their families as well. But he salvaged Korah's sons. And generations later, Korah's descendants are now responsible for Song and music in the, in, the, in the 
people of Israel. And so we see here in our text, and you, you might even see your, some of your, your headings in, in your Bible, whether you're New King James, King James, ESV, whatever it is, it might say the sons of Korah. It might be the, the heading there. The choir master of the sons of, Kor- of Korah. So let's look at Psalm 46. That's going to be very significant when we get to the end. That their father of their family, their, their patriarch, was a rebellious traitor who was disciplined by God. And here we have the sons of Korah, the, the generations that came after, now leading the people of God in song and praise, and here in very much encouragement. And so let's look at Psalm 46. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's only 11 verses. We're going to look at them all. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. I'm going to stop there for a second. You're going to see in Scripture a little sub-note there. Some of you, it's in bold text. Some of you, it's in smaller, italicized text. And there's a five-letter word there. Can anybody tell me what it is? Selah. Selah. So let's talk about that for a minute. Because it's very significant. Sometimes we just skip over that. But it's there for a purpose. Selah is there for a very important purpose now most versions probably all that are in this room transliterate the word just the way it is in hebrew we know that we see this multiple multiple times in scripture it actually shows up 74 times in the psalms and so it is a time to stop and pause and reflect now in that song that we just sang right before um, I came up. There were these moments where there was this pause and some musical interlude. That was a selah. It was a moment for us to think about what we just said, bask in it, and then sing again. So note where they are in this song. And it, after verse 3, we see selah. God is saying, take in what I just said, and then let's move on to the next thing. So it's a, it's a pause. It's, it's, you could almost either have a silent pause there or a musical interlude. The idea is to get us to take a breath, to pause. And we're going to see this three times today. First, he's saying he is for you. So we're going to see that. And then he takes a breath after verse 3. He is with you after verse 7. And he is stronger than you. We're going to see that today. We're going to see that God is not only present, but he's purposeful and he's patient and he's powerful. And so as, as we pause there for a minute, let's, let's focus in on what was just said, verses 1 through 3. 
The name here for God is Elohim, which means creator, king, judge, savior. In the midst of whatever we are feeling today, whatever emotions are arisen in us, whether it is good feelings about our Father, bad feelings about our Father, good feelings about what's going on in the world, bad feelings about what's going on in the world, whether we are celebrating joyful memories or we are lamenting some painful experiences we've had, God is saying, I am with you. He is pointing to himself and saying, I am your refuge. When the storm is raging and the scenarios are running through your mind, you run down the hall to me. That's what God's saying. He says, seek God as the refuge. Seek me as the refuge. God is our refuge. Even when what seemed steady is now unstable. Whether it's work, whether it's marriage, relationships, family stuff, the world around us. Differences in responses to COVID. Now the world platform, as we sit and watch large armies in the world determining whether they want to plunge us into World War III. All of that, God is saying, I am your refuge. It literally means a place to flee to, to run to. Running to a shelter. Those of you that grew up in in the 50s and 60s, you would run to your bomb shelters that were equally and conveniently, and I use that word lightly, located throughout your community, and you would practice running to your bomb shelter. The refuge. We were told during the pandemic that we should shelter in place. That our home was our refuge. We should be there and be safe. Psalm 142.5 says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So God promises to hide us in his shelter. He can help us with his strength, and we'll see that in a minute. But he wants us to rely on his strength and not our own. He wants us to be reminded. As a young boy, I was reminded that the power of that storm was greater than me. And it struck fear in me. But as soon as I landed on that bed next to my father, and he said everything was going to be okay, there was a faith that I had in the power of his words to know that it was true. So God is saying, I am your refuge. Run to me in the times of trouble. Don't run to the things that will... If sin is the issue, if you are battling and waging a war with sin, run to me. Don't run into more sin. Don't don't take the easy, easy path even. God promises to hide us. He's a very present help in our trouble. Right now, right now in trouble, God is saying, I am your refuge. He says in Psalm 9, 9, the Lord is a stronghold for what? The oppressed. He's a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. The word strength there implies that we can rely on His might. 
in my mind as a little boy, and I know that it's not reality, but in my mind as a little boy, if that tree was to come crashing through the roof of my house, there was no doubt in my mind that my dad was going to be able to stand up on that bed and hold that tree up. No doubt in my mind. I had complete and total faith in his ability to protect me. The problem with that is that as great a man as my dad was, he was not strong enough to keep a large ash tree from crushing through our house. (laughs) But God is strong enough to handle all of the things that we bring to him. He is able to protect us. He has shown that protection through providing a way out of his own wrath. So the word strength there implies that it is his might that we rely on, not our own. He is a very present help in times of need. In verse 2, the psalmist is sort of imagining the worst destruction that could possibly hit. He starts describing earthquakes and volcanoes and mountains slipping into the sea. Now we live right here in a beautiful foot of the Blue Ridge. Could you imagine watching these mountains slide off into the ocean? It's a powerful, powerful vision. And He says, even though the earth gives way, even if the landscape completely changes, and mountains, which in that context, mountains is, the, is protection. Armies assemble at mountains. They use mountains as borders. He's saying, even if the mountains were to fall into the ocean, God is going to be our refuge. He describes the roaring waters of the sea. and You have to understand, at this time that this is being written, they are under siege from a terrible, terrible army. Every continent was in commotion. Very, very similar to today. We've just experienced the last two years of a pandemic. Now we see the rising fear and worry about supply shortages and economies crashing and countries invading other countries. And almost sounds as if the scripture was right about wars and rumors of wars. Oftentimes we have a knee-jerk human response to these things. Trevin Wax, uh, he's from the Gospel Project. He's a popular writer and former pastor, and he wrote during the pandemic. I was reading an article, and he said, right now the world is experiencing a great humbling. All of the greatest and most powerful leaders and nations in the world, including economies, that just weeks ago were seeing unprecedented, this was written in 2020, that were, were seeing unprecedented gains have now ground to a literal halt. Supply chains have been disrupted. Churches have been meeting virtual. Hospitals are bracing for overpowering cases. Grocery stores have certain items completely gone and no longer replaceable for the foreseeable future. We feel precarious. We feel that this predicament leaves us hopeless. Psalm 91, verses 1-6 through says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High 
will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. These are very vivid descriptions of super difficult, scary times. Just like the coronavirus, just like the fears of world wars and China and Russia rattling swords and we are finding ourselves in a time where we're scared. And God is saying, don't find refuge in yourself because your power is weak. We're going to see that in the next section. He's saying, I am your refuge. What is our Father's response to all of this? I'm in control. Nothing catches me off guard. And I am strong enough to handle this. The psalmist is saying, when you are feeling a lack of security, when you are suddenly finding yourself on uneasy ground, whether it's a daily thing, battles with anxieties and depressions and all of those things, our sense of helplessness and fear can drive us to things that will actually cause us to be more fearful. God is trying to remind us of the eternality of His redemptive plan. And when we focus in on what is happening in the now, and we see that as the end game, we begin to lose hope. So we come to our first Selah here, found at the end of verse 3. Take a second and pause on this. That God is present and purposeful and powerful. And then let's take a look at verses 4 through 7. This is beautiful. He says, There is a river whose streams made glad the city of God. We're starting to see, wow, we had all of this destruction. Now, now what, what is making us glad? The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. And He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. He, God of Jacob, is our fortress. Selah. Now, remember, we remember who Jacob is, right? God's the God of everyone, but he, the psalmist is trying to remind us that he's the God of Jacob. Why is he trying to remind us that he's the God of Jacob? Fortunately, it's because we're reminded that Jacob was someone who was constantly trying to trick people. And God still blessed him despite all of his shenanigans, God still kept his 
word to Jacob and still saw through the plan that he had for Jacob despite Jacob. And he's saying that to us as well. He's saying that to his people as well. Despite you, I will still keep my promise to you and I will still be here for you and what I ultimately have for you will be accomplished. God promises us shelter when we seek Him. Fortunately, we don't have to, far, we don't have to run too far to get to Him because He's a present God. And He's there. We were talking about it in Sunday school this morning about the Creator of everything on earth and beyond communicates individually with us. That's magnificently significant. Verse 4, he says, and we could miss this if we're not careful, the city of God is Jerusalem, right? This is the city of God. Now, remember this, Jerusalem was a beautiful city, but Jerusalem doesn't have a river running through it. You ever, you ever think about that? It doesn't have a river running through it. Babylon had the Euphrates. Egypt had the Nile. Rome had the Tiber. Richmond had the James. Jerusalem doesn't have a river. But yet it's a great city. Why? Because God is the river that runs through Jerusalem. The most high, Elion, which refers to God as the highest of all. The highest of all. He's sovereign. He's supreme. He's present to everyone. And God's grace flows like a river, bringing gladness and joy, even when the world around us is exploding. It brings calm and security, peace and pause, hope. And it is life-giving. When you're thirsty, when you're out in the wilderness, you seek a water source. And God is saying, I am the river that brings gladness and joy. Psalm 36, 8 says, They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. This image in Scripture is used to represent joys and happinesses, abundance and peace. Even when everything is falling apart around, God's presence with His people is a central truth of Scripture. He is a present God. He is in the midst of her. Verse seven declares, "The Lord is the host; is the Lord the host is with us." This is from that root word, Emmanuel. You remember that name being talked about when God is with us when Jesus arrived. It's used in Matthew. This means that when we put our faith in Christ, we have a God that is with us at all times. He is not far. He is not unreachable. Notice the last part of verse 5. God will help her when morning dawns. So no matter how bad things get, God's presence means He will help us. We talked about that again in Sunday school. His mercies are new every morning. 
when we wake up and start a new day, we will experience just what Jeremiah experienced in Lamentations, right? Chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's present with His people even when the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, the psalmist says. So no matter how bad things get, we can always count on His presence. Verse 7 says the Lord of hosts is with us, and here we're introduced to another name for God. Sabaoth means Lord of angel armies. So here the psalmist is reminding us not only of His presence, not only of His purpose, but of His power. That Sabaoth is the God of angel armies. So while there are armies all around us, the psalmist is saying, God has an angel army. And they are undefeated. So it's His presence that gives us peace. It's His power that gives us hope. I love how this verse ends. The God of Jacob. This is actually the text that inspired Martin Luther to write to him, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Just a little side note in history, a little something I read in the few hours I had to prepare this sermon today. Don't miss that he is the God of Jacob, known as the deceiver and the twister of things. We have a lot in common with him. And God is reminding us that despite our faults, he is our God. And He is a promise keeper. Even when we are conniving and twisting and trying to change things to our own outcome. So let's pause now as we see this next Selah. Thanking God for being present and purposeful and patient and powerful. So we're going to close with verses 8-11. through 11. We see... In verses 8 through 11, it says, Come behold the works of the Lord. Now, the psalmist is, they're still, the, the sons of Korah are still singing and orchestrating this song. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The psalmist is reminding us now of God's power. That although we see this enemy, and they were completely encompassed, or we see this enemy at our gates, know that God will defeat them. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word behold here is kind of interesting. It says to perceive through sight, to peer, to spy out, to gaze intently upon, to behold. God is reminding us to keep our eye on Him and not be distracted by the things that are around us. To keep our eye on the redemptive story and the promise of eternality, not of what is perceived as this temporary world. He's saying, 
gaze intently upon me. And not only on me, but on what I've done. He's reminding us he has a track record. God's done some wonderful things that we often overlook. The other day, Aiden got in some trouble. My youngest son, eight. He's eight. He got in some trouble. And he came to me with his list of things that he had done really good that week. Sort of as a reminder that though he failed in this one area, there was this offsetting weight of spectacular things that he had done in order to sort of cancel out the bad thing that he did. While I chuckled and thought that was funny and still followed through with my graceful discipline of him, he reminded me that God would forgive him for this. Man. He said, I hope you will too. God is saying to us, hey, look, you you don't have any reason to to question whether I'm going to do what what I said I'm going to do. Just look back at what I've done. This was the same argument that Aiden had with me, except that he failed in this one spot. God doesn't fail. So these wars and all of these things that are happening, these oppressions, these these things, they're actually not an oppression. You know the church, and I have have failed in this area as well. I I talk about how the church is being oppressed, and the church isn't actually under oppression. It's under opportunity. The church actually has a great opportunity right now. In a world that is causing people to have hopelessness and fear, rage and anger. They're looking at what is fair and what is not fair. We have an opportunity to speak about God's justice, to speak about the ultimate penalty and the loving, merciful, graceful God who made a way to escape His own wrath. The Assyrian Empire was at the gates during this time. The sons of Korah are writing this song through the inspiration of the Lord and they are sharing it with the people of Israel. They'd already overrun most of the kingdoms around them. And they were ready and and poised to conquer the entire world. But, ultimately, God had other plans. And he reminds us of that by saying he's going to break the, ba- the bow. A broken bow shoots no arrows. A spear that is shattered is no longer effective. Chariots that are set on fire cannot function. God controls all of that. So through death and resurrection of Jesus, God has shattered sin. He has made the effects of sin like a broken bow, like a shattered spear, like a chariot set on fire. He has said, hey, our enemy, our true enemy, not Russia, not China, Satan has a bow 
and a spear and chariots, and I have broken them, and I have shattered them, and I have set them on fire. Keep your eyes on that. The wars and the pestilence and all that, that's a result of an enemy attacking. But I've already shattered that spear. I've already broken that bow. I've already set that chariot on fire. Jesus came and bore your sin to the cross and imputed His righteousness on you. The sin debt has been paid. This is the bow and the spear and the chariot that is set on fire. So while you see all these things raging around you, I am God. But look at verse 10. All of this, the Lord speaks in first person. We see all through the song, God is, God is, God is. But now look at verse 10. The majority of the psalm is written in third person, and as the psalmist is speaking about God. But then in verse 10, the Lord speaks. Now ultimately, He's the one who who ordained these men to write this song in the first place, but he says, be still and know that I am God. Be still here refers to, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, it's interesting, it actually means to surrender weapons. Surrender weapons. The picture is of Opening our clenched fists and letting our hands fall to our sides as we leave matters to God. This is sort of the vision that we can have here. We're not just to have a moment of silence, but we're literally to cease and desist, to surrender to Him. Psalm 37, verses 5-7 through says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. Surrender your arms before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Don't worry about all this evil that's going on out there. God's already defeated sin. This is a, this is a consequence of the fall. But we have a God who has already broken Satan's bow, who has already shattered his spear, who has already set his chariots on fire. So whether coronavirus leads to more catastrophe and confusion, whether nations rage against one another and we plunge into World War III, no matter what happens, God is present, He is purposeful, He is patient, and He is powerful. Jesus Christ is God and Lord of history. Nothing has happened outside of His plan. Nothing will ever confuse or astonish Him. Nothing catches Him by surprise. One might wonder if the poet who penned these lyrics is actually remembering their less honorable beginnings. Remember we talked about Korah and how he led a rebellion against Moses and God? Perhaps these generations removed and the stories of great-great-great-great-great-great-granddad Korah and his rebellion against God, perhaps, just 
this is a little bit of, of me interjecting, but perhaps these psalmists are actually thinking about the redemption story of their own family. The ground opened up, and these men and their families went into the ground. But, as we can see in Scripture, Korah's sons were saved. There's just one little Scripture verse in the Bible that says, and later on, later on in, in, in the Psalms, you'll see, and Korah's sons did not die. What did he salvage those sons for? For this. To be the choir master. To be the psalmist. To sing about the redemptive story. About how every small detail, even the salvaging of a couple of a rebellious man's sons, would generations later produce beautiful psalms, and encouragement in times of rage and misunderstanding and fear. So perhaps it's the reflection. Be still. Surrender your weapons. Oh, Korah, if you would have just surrendered your weapons and not stood so pridefully in front of God and tried to fight Him, and you got your answer. Maybe that's what they're doing here. Maybe they're saying, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So for each of our hearts today, we should be renewed knowing that God is a God of purpose. And His purpose is redemption. We should flow from a heart of humility as we remember the fallen and broken state from which God recovered us. He raised us and redeemed us. This was certainly the case for the sons of Korah. Perhaps the army that needs defeating isn't Russia and China. It's you. It's me. Perhaps we've been fighting to have our own way. And God is saying, be still and know that I am God. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be refreshed and renewed, to be reminded that you're present and purposeful and powerful and patient, God. So as difficulties rage around us and we are impatient for a solution, for an answer, our patience dwindles and we begin to focus on other things. We actually begin to take up arms and fight against things that you are saying, be still and know that I am God. Release your grip on your sword and know that I have already defeated the enemy. Father, remind us of that today. Remind us as we reflect. 
Lord, I pray right now for the brokenhearted today. Those that are suffering because they are longing and missing a wonderful Father. And as many celebrate around them, they will be saddened that they are not celebrating with their earthly father. May we be reminded that you are an ever-present and never-absent father. I pray for the brokenhearted who did not have the joy of experiencing a good father. I pray for their seeking out the true Father. Lord, I pray that they will not hold against You the deeds of their earthly father, but that they will look beyond that and they will see how good a father You are. How good a father You are that You would make a way for them to be with You for eternity. Despite their sin against You. So may we actually not be like little Aiden and bring all the good things we brought to you because they are, as you have said, filthy rags. But may we trust in the works that were finished on the cross, that were brought to life when Jesus was brought back from the dead, when he raised himself and defeated death, when Satan's bow was broken and his spear was shattered and his chariots were set on fire, may we be thankful that we have a Father that we can run down the hallway to and dive into their arms and know that they are our refuge and that Father is you. We thank you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.